0: Philip Lanos, CEO, of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. Mitch, how you doing? I'm good. All right. Now, we've had a time to powwow just before recording, and uh, one thing is for sure, you show up ready, and that is something that I think we can dive into, how you achieved such a uh, Stoic stance in, in the heat of any moment you find yourself in. Uh, so the first question to unlock that, I think, would be to ask, do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs?
1: I do. Uh, I was um, I was born to a dad uh, who started candy stores all over New York City. In fact, he started the largest candy store in the entire city, which is still in existence. Uh, as, a, as a little boy, he started shining shoes on on the street corners. And then him and his brother and and my grandfather together built economy candy, which is again, still one of the largest or was one of the largest candy stores in New York and still to this day running. So I used to go with him. Um, It used to be funny because on on Easter Sunday, uh, we usually spend Saturday preparing uh, by building baskets uh, in the back room and then on Sunday morning, we take them out into the, into the trunk of the car and open up the trunk on the street, in on Canal Street in New York, and sell baskets out of the back of the trunk for Easter. So we were always hustling, always selling stuff, always trying to figure out how to, how to market. And, and my dad taught me a lot about marketing just by the way he did things and, and certainly about sales as well. So I was definitely born into a family of entrepreneurs.
0: Oh, wow. What a rare treat. To hear exactly that kind of story, uh, I think for sure, without going any further, the listeners are in for a good one, because just that alone, where that sets you on the on the racetrack of being able to get the entrepreneurship going, is one heck of a starting point, and just in terms of the confidence it can give you of what's possible, right? Things of that nature.
1: Sure.
0: So then, the question the 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 question here is. At what point did you start taking it serious for yourself as something you were going to do? Because not everybody takes over a family business. Not everybody stays along the lines of a family business, even if they grow up with it. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, I think I started when I realized that my 15 cents per week allowance uh, wasn't going to satisfy my needs. Um, And so, um, you know, I used to do things like wash cars, sell greeting cards door to door, and then living in Brooklyn, when it snowed out, it was like money was falling from the sky. So, I mean, I was I was maybe nine, ten years old, and my buddy and I could make fifty dollars a day shoveling snow. We 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 shovel snow until it was too dark to do anything, um, and we just keep going and going and going and going. We didn't ever stop for lunch. If we got thirsty, we'd eat snow or something. But <laughs> the bottom line is that it was a it was a, you know you gotta. You gotta um, make hay when the sun is shining, and in this case, when it's snowing, we made money, and that's so. Starting back then, I knew that you know I could either work for a salary, fifteen cents a week, or I could make fifty dollars a day um, in the right entrepreneurial uh, scenario, and and that never left me. I did that for the rest of my life.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Before I go with my next question, I want to turn it over to Jason because I'm sure he's loving this. (laughs)
2: That's great. Cause it is the quintessential entrepreneur journey from a childhood. It is, you know, the, the lemonade stand in the corner, the uh, newspaper route, the, all those things as a kid. See for me, it was feeding the sheep. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, and we had a front end loader, but nope, couldn't do that. Had to use a, had to use a shovel, shovel right. feed in, right? It was, there was this, it was purpose driven, right? Hard work to teach hard work, right? So, and then I would, I would spend from like 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. Hand shoveling wheat into the bunks mm-hmm. and my dad would give me a quarter. Perfect. Yep. You know, it was a good lesson. It was just, you know, not, not very good pay. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> but, well, but it I'm was sure a good lesson. Time. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm sure at the time though, you thought it was worth this, that you wanted the money. I mean, I remember yeah. being a little boy thinking, I don't care what I
2: do. If I can make money, I'll do it. I didn't,
1: it yeah. didn't matter. Right.
2: right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Cause that was something you could save, you know, right. every day. 25 cents, you could save that every day. Go Not into it. town, go get you. We'd take the grain into the grain elevator and I could get a uh shasta, the strawberry shasta. Yep. <laughs> and or uh or a root beer and or no, a Coca-Cola and a bag of nuts. Perfect. That's what it was. Yeah, that's great. Good stuff. <laughs> so so
0: yeah I, I love the fact that that's it because it's not everybody's story and I, and i'm always curious to see how that played out right because uh it's one thing to know that you came from that it's another to rely on it heavily as you face obstacles in your journey as a as an adult completely aware of where you what you're doing how you plan to excel and overcome those things do you remember the first time that you realized potentially that how you grew up gave you the tools you needed as an entrepreneur once you were an adult?
1: I I mean, it was just a continuous presence in my life. There was no real transition point for me. I mean, I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, wow, now I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, I'll be honest. It was sort of like that's all all I ever was. I mean, so, I mean, no, I was dealing drugs in high school. I mean, come on. I was an entrepreneur. Yeah. I I learned how to sell the hard way. And I I I understood selling and marketing. And heck, I had a band at the age of 15, 16. And, and we started out uh, playing for free, ended up in 19, 1970, paying, getting paid $500 a night. Now go back to what the dollar was worth in 1970. We were being paid $500 a night to play at a Sweet oh, wow. or a fraternity party and Okay. I mean, so it was just, I mean, look, I, whenever I took a job, it was really um, out of necessity because I couldn't find a way to make money any other way. A job was never going to be, I mean, I never thought of going to college to get a job. Um, I was going to, if I was going to go to college and I did, I would go to learn a skill that I can then create something of my own, which again is what I did.
0: Right. And so then what was your first venture that wasn't uh uh sort of scrapped together and was one you methodically said, I'm gonna create this. This is what I'm gonna do as an organization, et cetera.
1: Well, I mean, look, I mean I went into, if you want to call it being in business for myself, I went into business as a commissioned salesperson uh, at the age of 27 um and 26 really. And uh, you know, I I was earning about I don't know, $1,800, $2,000 a month scraping by uh, while I was building my client book until the 14th month when my very first large commission check was $34,000. So I then went on to generate about thirty dollars to $36,000 a month at the age of 27, 28 in that range uh, by selling semiconductors. And the reason I was able to do it was because I didn't follow the same path that all the other semiconductor salespeople did. They were going into the purchasing office, schmoozing with the purchasing agent. And I was going into digging in the back of the engineering labs and becoming friends with the engineers because I understood what our stuff really did and I could show them how to use it. And what I would do is I would help them design our circuits into their products. And these were all custom circuits so we we don't, there's no negotiating. After 18 months of planning and designing, we go into the purchasing office, we lay a purchase order on the desk, say sign it or you don't get your product. Well, again, we're going to look for a second source. No, you're not. There is no second source. It's custom. So sign it or 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 decide you don't want to build the product and ship it. Of course, that would, of course, you know, blow their roofs. So they didn't like me very much in the purchasing office, <laughs> uh, but I made a lot of friends in the engineering labs. Oh, man. Talk about stacking the odds in your favor. <laughs> well, you know, this is what I call playing to your assets. You know, I'm, I'm a small guy. I don't think I could handle two drinks in a row. I mean, so let's be fair. Uh, if I'm going to go schmooze with the purchasing guys and their three martini lunches, I'm going to need an ambulance at the end of that. <laughs> so for me, it was, look, I'd much rather grab a bag of fries and a couple of burgers, go back into the engineering lab and sit down in front in front of the oscilloscope with these guys and, and debug chip designs, because that's what I do. That's what I loved. Oh
0: man. Okay. So that so was my
1: first as a, as yeah, a grown that was up. your first I mean, as a
0: grown up, yeah. <laughs> and already you were crushing it. Most people would have stopped there. Most people would have said, wow, I've really found what I'm doing. This is what, but you decided to go even further. What, what was it that you landed on finally that brought you here today? Well, look,
1: um, I was still working for a company, even though I was an independent sales rep. I still had a boss, if you will, and um, and this this boss had, you know, the typical problem that we had in that part of the industry is that he was a drinker. So um, when it came time when these commission checks started rolling in, he'd look at me and he'd look at the check. He'd look at me, and he goes, "This is too much for a young man like you to make. I'm going to cut your commission." And I was too stupid to have had a agreement in writing, so I had to accept that and i i said well instead of getting 40,000 i'll get 34,000 which is more money than i'd ever seen in my life to begin with and so i'd argued and pissed and moaned but the bottom line is i got i got cut and so i said you know look i am not in control of my destiny here and i will ne- i can't put up with this until i'm in control of my destiny and so while i was out there speaking to all of these incredible people in the electronics industry that's when the vision for being in the PC computer business opened up to me. And I said, you know what? If I could, like this guy, Bill Gates, man, he beat me to it. I don't really like what he's doing. I should have been there first. He come out with this software for, for these IBM computers and, and I want to come out with software for an IBM computer. And so I basically started, You know, it, this is, and this goes back to something I learned much later in life, which I didn't realize I was doing. What I did is I planted an intention at that point in my life, and I let the intention grow and foster in the the unseen world, if you will, until it brought me exactly what I needed to go forward. And so all of a sudden, about three months, four months later, I had an idea, and I went to a next-door neighbor, brand-new next-door neighbor, hardly knew the guy, sat down, had breakfast with him, and uh, uh, shared my idea. So he pulled up some napkin off the table and starts sketching out what we're talking about. I said, yeah, that's kind of it. And, uh, and that was a great breakfast. Six weeks later, he calls me up and says, come on over. I want to show you something. Well, he had programmed our little napkin diagram onto his computer to show it to me. And I said, okay, how would you like to start a business with me? And he he didn't even hesitate. He goes, yeah, sure. Just like that. <laughs> So God brought me to exactly where I was supposed to be. You don't have to use the word God. It could be the universe. The universe brought me to exactly where I needed to be with exactly the insights and, and ideas that I needed to get there.
0: There's a few things I love about this story, and, and I'll, I'll mark them out and then turn it over to Jason because I'm sure he's loving this. this is, again, this is one of those stories, man. There's these There's these intangibles that you're alluding to that are qualities that I believe have lent themselves uh, power in your favor, right? Number one, the, the intention setting and really yep. being firm with that. Uh, and regardless of where someone stands, the power of faith in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of you knowing that something is happening here greater than yourself. Those intangibles, along with your willingness to learn from the moments, are, are just... I know that the driving forces of this and you being okay with that and all the training that you had as you were growing up and the risks you would take, whether it was leading your band or shoveling snow, all of this is beginning to make a lot more sense as we close in on where you are today.
2: Jason? There are no mistakes in life. No, of course not. Or, or there coincidences, are, right? The, the, there are none, right? right? So you think of all the little things that added up over those years. Had you missed one, that moment may have not presented itself, right? But a better one would have. That's right? Jason. Yeah, but a better one would have, right? Or could have, or could have, would have, should have, right? But I mean, that's the point true. is, is we, I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in, I think we, we're writing our path, right? right? And it's leading us right where we were already ready to go. And sometimes it's right here going, hey, stupid, look. <laughs> look here, right yep. here yep and we choose to just do this every once in a while and let it go on by yep. right but then guess where we always end up back at hey stupid right here and, yep. then, and then you go oh there it is yep, yep. boom and there yep. it is so it's uh nothing's a coincidence it always happens because it's supposed to i agree
0: i totally agree Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely these driving forces in the story as you lay them out, even being faced with uh, relatively young, right, 27, to be faced with someone taking money that they didn't earn from you, knowing that you're the one that put the blood, sweat and tears into that. Uh, That's an experience no one will ever forget,
1: (laughs) ever. But it it was
0: so important that that happened. Yes, Mm because had you just been receiving that, again, you would have been comfortable with where you're at.
1: Well, well, what I did know for sure was that I was in a cyclical business. Uh, we're watching it now. I mean, we're in, I was in the semiconductor business in, in the 1980s. I mean, come on. Uh, we'd have three, four years of boom and then two, two to six years of bust. And, um, <clears throat> and that's ended up what happening. Just as I had made the decision to leave and start my own company, the, my commission checks almost went to zero because the entire industry started to crash. And I remember having lunch with a couple other guys in the business, other sales guys in the business. And I said, uh, "What the heck is going on?" He goes, "Oh, don't worry about it. This is—it's cyclical. It's five years from now, it'll be back to normal." I said, "What? Five years? Are you out of your mind? Do you think I'm going to wait around five years? Forget it. I'm out of here." And that's yeah. when—that's when everything presented itself,
0: and that's how I started Timeslips Corporation, my first large enterprise. It's funny how their their attitude towards it was ah, we'll just wait and see what happens it's you know yeah. a cycle where you weren't willing to wait and that made all the difference because now exactly. you were time slips and and you know, I see power tribes in the background there so at some point we're going to get to how you sure. also became an author and, and what that was like what it meant to you to do that but yeah. uh first tell me more about time slips
1: Well as I started to tell you um my my next door neighbor and I we built this company together we worked on it um in half days you know what i mean by half days right uh the half day that goes from 6 p.m. to to uh, 12 a, 12 a.m. at night oh, yeah. uh so we worked on it in half days uh for about 6 months and we finally came up with the product we we it was programmed documented tested uh ready to go and uh so both of us quit our jobs so now i had quit my job which frankly at the time i didn't even though I I still had to work and I was still getting paid something, it was I hated the work, so it didn't matter to me. But he was at a good job. But he quit. The following Monday, we got a phone call from my accountant, and he said, uh, "Mitch, I got some bad news for you." I said, "What? What are, you, what are you talking about?" He goes, "You know that software that you just built to keep track of time for taxes for tax purposes." I said, yeah, it's done. We're ready to go. We're going to start marketing it on, on Monday, actually tomorrow. They said, uh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, the IRS just relaxed all their rulings on contemporaneous record keeping. So uh, Mitch, that product has no value anymore.
2: <laughs> oh, so,
1: man. So once again, another blessing, right? Uh, so basically at that point, I said, are you sure? And he, he then um, said, look, uh, you can come over and look at this docs on my desk, but I have the IRS rulings in front of me. You know, we didn't have fax machines. We didn't have email. You know, so I trusted him, of course, because I know him. He's a friend and an accountant. So then, of course, my partner and I, we had burnt the boats. We we're on the island. And I, you know, I said, OK, look, um, this really sucks and we should go get drunk and do something that's really sucks. What are we going to do? And then I said to him, I asked the one question that changed the whole conversation. I said, look, we just spent six months creating this incredible piece of revolutionary technology. What else could we do with it? And that gave us the ability to what now people call pivot into a much larger market than we ever would have had with the stupid little thing we had designed to begin with. So because of that, we pivoted into helping lawyers keep track of time and billing their clients. So that fast forward nine years later, quarter million, 250,000 clients, a hundred employees. At that point, we became a target for acquisition by large companies and we sold, but had that never happened, we still, we might've been puddling along selling two or three or five a week. And uh, you know, nothing more than that because it wasn't that compelling of an application it was the tech that was really amazing and wow. we needed the universe to help us redirect that into the right direction which it did
0: right right because had that other thing not happened you would have stayed there and there's no telling whether or not that would have been as explosive a success oh, as for Right. <laughs> whoa hindsight is always twenty twenty, 20 ain't
2: it? <laughs> it sure is Sure
0: is. Is that ah. still
2: in circulation today? Absolutely. If you yeah. if you
1: Google, I sold the company to Sage PLC, Sage in the UK. Mm. Sage still carries time slips. They still mm. sell it. Of course, they raised the price about a bazillion times, but <laughs> they, they still sell it. Oh, That's
0: man.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's, leg- it's a legacy right there.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Good not stuff. every day we get to talk to somebody who, who was around a time doing like computer work, software work, during probably the 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 beginnings yeah. of of a very important part of uh, knowledge work. Yep. And yep. and that's that's where a lot of entrepreneurs are today. Quite literally, is all knowledge work. Mm-hmm. So it would be a missed opportunity if I didn't ask someone with your background, experience, and foresight to say, "Are there anything? Is there anything interesting in your opinion?" That you think entrepreneurs should be paying attention to is that what we can find in Power Tribes, or, or what, how does all this connect?
1: Well, you know, fast forward. I mean, one of the things that I ended up doing when we were building Timeslips Corporation, uh, and it was basically a shot in the dark. I had never even heard of it before. Is um, is build a certified consultant program? Now, uh, there was no such thing as that ever. In in any form of software business before I, before we did it, we were the first. But it came about in the strangest way. Um, the reason it came about is because we were growing so fast that our phone lines were so jammed with customers looking for tech support, there were like twenty minute holds, and I felt that was completely completely unacceptable. I couldn't hire fast enough to put people on the phones and get them trained. So um, I had one serious problem with a woman in Los Angeles. Who was the senior executive at the Los Angeles Bar Association technology division? If we pissed her off, we would get a terrible review, and that would influence sales of the company, you know, sales of the product through other lawyers in Los Angeles. So she was a VIP; she had to be satisfied. So, but she had bought time slips for her own little practice. She had spent the two hundred dollars and bought the software. And then she called up complaining and groaning and moaning about how it sucks, how, how it crashed her computer and blah, 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 blah. So I'm thinking, well, I got to fly out there because I can't get a flight back then for three days at the minimum. Um, and so I had this idea. I said, you know what? Um, I know a woman in Los Angeles who is really, really good at law office administration with time slips. Let me call her and see if I could get her to swing over and help this other gal. So I call her on the phone. And I said, uh, hi, Anne, this is Mitch Russo. And she goes, oh, Mitch Russo? Oh, my God, what are you doing calling me? Uh, and by the way, just to give you some background, I had sold the software personally to my first 10,000 clients, either on stage and presentations at trade shows, uh, one-on-one or on the phone, because I took a lot of sales calls back then. And so I said, well, look, Anne, I need a favor. I'm wondering if maybe you can swing by this woman's office. I don't know how far away she is. I gave her the address. She goes, oh, my God, she's down the street. I could I could zip over there right after work. I said, well, if if you wouldn't mind, I'd be happy to, to pay you whatever you want. And she goes, no, 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 don't ever think about it. You know. So I said, OK, here's the address. This is what she told me do whatever it takes and you know, I'll cover the costs. If you have to get her another computer, I'll pay for the computer. Just let me know. So now of course, California, I'm on the East coast. I'm on pins and needles waiting to find out. It's almost nine o'clock at night now. Finally, the phone rings. I'm still in the office, nine o'clock at night, the phone rings. And it's Ann. I said, uh, how'd it go? She goes, Oh, everything's fine. It was no problem. She just didn't have the settings. Right. And then we had to just reinstall the, 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 uh, the timer everything is fine. Don't, and I said, well, Ann, oh, my God, that was so wonderful. Thank you so much. And, and then she said, you know, she was so appreciative. She gave me $100. <laughs> I, I said, wow, th- that's wonderful. And then she said the words that changed my life. She said, and if you need anybody else to help, if you anybody else that needs help in the Los Angeles area, you just call me and I'll go over and help them. Mm. And all of a sudden, my brain exploded. It's nine o'clock at night. I'm at the office. I said, <laughs> oh my god! What would happen if I had two ands? No, four. No, eight. No, two hundred ands. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, how do I get them? I have to create a test. How about I have to make the test so hard that only twenty percent of the people will pass it? So I know they're really competent, and then I can even sell that test. And then if they pass the test, I'll call them certified. By the God of time slips, you are now certified. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and we did this. And then the skies opened and rained money. And we started making more and more money from certification. But you know what? Um, it wasn't all uh, roses and perfume here because now... All these wonderful people that I certified are causing huge problems at law firms all over the country, uh, and I didn't know this until lawsuits started to get threatened, and I started to call these people who were threatening me, and I come to find out that the people showing up at their office that looked like Elmer Fudd when they walked in and, and smelled like a uh, you know like the local sewer. Uh, and we completely unprofessional and uh, were rude. And in some cases, uh, didn't even really know the software that well. Um, I realized it was me that had made the mistake. I was such in such a rush to get this done that all I did, I, all I cared about was whether they could pass a test. And I realized at that point that if I wanted to save my company, I needed to shut down this program. And so I shut down the entire program. There were 60 certified consultants at the time. Uh, I, I called every one of the people with problems, and there were a good good number of those. And I interviewed every one of them, and I did whatever I could to make it right, including spend my own money, whatever it took. We would make it right, and then we went back to work on creating a certification program that did more than just train the technical aspect of the software. We taught people how to sell, how to market, how to show up, how to dress, how to smell, how to treat <laughs> each other. Seriously, how to work within a group or a tribe, as we now call it, or a culture. And once I did that, the program uh, basically, in effect, 10x. At that point, 18 months later, we had 350 uh, certified consultants. We had a very, very happy group of people who I'm still in touch with many of them to this day, all these years later, because of the bonds that we created by building this culture. And that model of how I did that, I duplicated over and over and over again for clients, uh, really all over the world. And that became in, the, in 2018, the first version of Power Tribes came out. That became this, the book you see on the screen. Um, and uh a second version, second edition of the book came out in 2021. And I mean, now I I build Power Tribes three, four, five a year for clients again all over the world uh, in many different industries. So it's that that lesson that I learned in Timeslabs Corporation uh, has parlayed itself into the future here with Power Tribes. Oh man,
0: what a story! That's in the book, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I <Everything> mean <laughs> I just I abbreviated it. It's, it's more detailed in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. oof. I mean anyone who's ever been in business who's had any re- relation to having uh, or other parties go out on behalf of them and represent them and all those things who's been around in business long enough to back in the day when you couldn't just show up on a Zoom and all that like I'm sure all of them were on the edge of their seats as they heard this and you know were reminded of the feelings they may have felt at one point it is a harrowing tale as they say and well you know
1: there, there's no replacing the feeling we used to do this thing called the symposium. So every year we'd invite all of our certified consultants to good old new England, Beverly, Massachusetts, where we do a clam bake and have, and have a band and comedians. We we make it a lot of fun, we'd take them out, whaling and deep sea fishing if they wanted. I mean, we had, we had three days of work and two days of play and we did this every year, but what that turned out to be without me realizing it was one of the greatest culture and bond building possibilities ever. That became the event where all of our certified consultants bonded together and where, and where I got a chance to spend a lot more time with them. I mean, I was away from the business for five solid days. I was immersed with this group for five solid days, and I loved it. In fact, I felt depressed after it was over. I said, boy, that was so <laughs> much fun. I can't wait again until next year. Uh, so I mean, and I learned a lot about what does it take to lead? How do you lead a group that big? What culture elements are important and, and what aren't? And again, all of this is in the book, but this is part of the blueprint program that I now have. And that when I work with a client, we build everything in advance before we we build an entire culture. We use the code of ethics to create culture, we use values as as the driven factor. We use their the CEO's wide which drives the entire company value structure. We do all of this. Why? Because when you enroll people into an environment where the rules are set, the the ethics are in place, the values are in place, then very rarely do they want to, they they feel secure. They don't want to violate those rules. And by the way, this becomes a self-correcting mechanism. Somebody gets out of line, another certified consultant, bring them back in line automatically. It's pretty cool. High level trust, yeah.
2: Self licking ice cream cone, as I like, yeah, exactly yeah. self licking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. I oh, know it's deep. It's deep what you've been able to do, and that that's a long way from shoveling snow. That's a long way from shoveling. <laughs> it's not snow. that far, actually. You know,
1: it's, <laughs> I hear you. I know what you mean, but I'm telling you, it it's really, you know, what it really comes down comes down to. It's the same stuff. You know, it's basically what I always did. You know, what is what does the customer need? Um, how do we solve the problem? How do we give them what they need? How do we over deliver and how do we get paid? I mean, that's,
0: it's the same stuff. Yeah. And and being in the industry you're in uh, and the experience that you've had, do you have any thoughts on sort of uh, moving the needle a little forward on because you you're so close to the legal industry in general with software and things that nature like smart contracts and any opinions on where that might be going just out of curiosity?
1: Uh, Yes. So first of all, um, I was an early investor in crypto. I got out last year. I can't say at the top, but not too far from the top. Uh, And I've watched the the whole thing kind of crumble. And I think the reason is, is because um, all these NFTs and many of these quote unquote smart contracts have very little application. So I'll give you a simple example. So I'm in a mastermind in Sarasota, Florida called Board of Advisors. And there's some very smart crypto people in there and some very smart NFT people in there. And you know, everybody is you know sort of admiring how bright they are, and they are brilliant people. And I said to them, well, well, if you're so goddamn bright, tell me how you can solve one problem for me. Right now, there is a entire company between me and my clients. That company is called Stripe. That company is called PayPal. How about we disintermediate the entire payment structure and give me an NFT? Somebody buys an NFT from me and it automatically sets up their software subscription. I don't need Stripe anymore. Well, uh, yeah, well, maybe we can, yeah, I think we <laughs> could do that. But you know what? Until there's real-world disintermediation of current structure, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's still too early to really put, now, now, there are places where smart contracts makes a lot of sense. There are places where smart contracts reduce existing contracts, but it's incremental. It's not revolutionary. Yeah. And until it's revolutionary, I don't know that it's really going to really going to have a lot of <clears throat> a lot of traction. That's why you see you know cryptos, you know basically parabolically rising and falling because there's really no value beyond what people think or hope it has. Certainly Bitcoin was was sort of heralded as, you know, hedge against inflation. Well, We now know better than that. (laughs) So (laughs) we do. Yeah. So I mean, it's so that was to me, that was the last bastion of hope for 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 Bitcoin to to hold value. Well, listen, if if as inflation raged, Bitcoin zoomed up to 200K, I would have said, man, let's get more of that stuff. You know, it really does work. But the bottom line is that I realized in December of, of last year that crypto was basically pegged to the, to the NASDAQ. I mean, I don't care what you look at. If you look at the charts side by side, there. And, and by the way, as soon as the market crashes, this is back in December, I thought, I mean, interest rates are going up, the market's going to go down. As soon as the market starts to drop, people are going to have to draw from their crypto assets to pay down their margin loans. So to me, it was very obvious. I said, let me get the hell out now.
2: Yeah.
0: No, I, good, I,
2: good, good move, man.
0: <laughs> I knew the minute I started listening to your story that there was no way this moment in time in technology and software was ever going to escape you. Because I know for a fact, just based off your story, you have your eye on that very, very, very tight. And well, so. <laughs> I
1: hear you. Well, I just, I, I mean, look, we can get to this at some point, but I, Last year, I released a new software platform, and today I released my third book. So, um, <laughs> awesome. so I mean, I I don't I'm not stopping for any anybody. I have a lot to do still, and uh, my software is changing lives every day. It, it's basically for coaches. It's called client folio, and it's designed to help coaches save twenty minutes per session and elevate all of their coaching sessions and helping their clients get much better results. And today, I released a book called. Uh what's the name of it? <laughs> I forgot the name of it already. Uh, it's basically called uh hold on here.
0: I'm serious. I actually forgot the name of my own book. Uh, it sounds how, like you're doing a lot. I'm not I'm not surprised. Coach, <laughs> coach Elevation. That's the name there of my it book. There it is. Yeah, I just, I like that. A software along with a book that that companion. Exactly. And the coach the
1: Coach Elevation book is the blueprint for how to use the software to implement my my my, basically my, um, uh, my intellectual property, the system that I've created over all these years to help other
0: people. I'm I'm with it, man. And, and on, in the, in the spirit of that, where can people go? Is it uh Mitch Russo 360.com? Is that the place where everything exists? Everything exists except the new book coach elevation. You You got to go on Amazon for that, but it will be up there soon. Right on. Right on, okay. Uh before I drive it home to the last two questions cuz uh, in the interest of time uh, we do have another one after this otherwise I'd stay on much longer. I'm going to turn it over to Jason.
2: Yeah, it's uh you know, it's interesting to watch the progression of some when you watch these lines of, you know, different entrepreneurial progressions, right? How some just nail it and some just like they just struggle and it's hard and it's just all these things, right? And, you know, in my opinion, it comes down to this. Some people are wired to be employees and some people are wired to be business owners, right? And that doesn't mean that you can't cross over into that. But the thing is, is if you're going to cross over into it, you need to stay in your zone of genius, right? So, and you let other people around you focus on the superpowers that you don't have. Yep. And that is where a lot of young business owners, not even young business owners, period, try to wear all these hats all the time. Right. And it just doesn't work. So, yes. you know, you got to surround yourself with the right people. That's like going to a damn heart surgeon to get your leg fixed. It doesn't work. Right? Yep. That's <laughs> so, so, true. so it's uh Clearly, you've mastered that by creating teams and power tribes, per se, um, and that's that's a great thing you got going there, my friend. Thank you. Well, Jason, I also want to point
1: out, um, because, because the illusion of here's this guy, everything he does is successful, I mean, there were years when everything I tried was complete garbage, and sure. uh, spending six figures on trying to figure out or make something work, and it just failed completely. I mean, so p- please don't ever give anybody the impression uh, that me or practically anybody else just moves from success to success to success. We all have to learn by doing, no matter what you think you know, you still have to learn True. by doing. And yeah. in my case, I, I tend to take the hard road out as opposed to the easy one. <laughs> so.
2: I do too. So we're alike there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's build it. Hard-headed army guy can't help it. You build, got the par- it. <laughs> build the parachute
0: on the way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Have to. That's, that's right. what you do. <laughs> that's right. So, so congratulations. First of all, on releasing a book today—that's got to be a high of all that's time. Cool. I, I've I've only done it once. It was a bucket list item. But I remember when I finally finished it, I was like, "Yeah." So I, I'm I'm curious what it feels like. You know, three books in, uh, and knowing that you've done all these other things, how does being an author fit into the scope of all the other work that you do for you? I don't even, I don't
1: know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm already onto my fourth book in my mind. I mean, it's like <laughs> another continue. one. Yeah. I mean, look, the, life is a continuum. There's, there's no place where for me and not for everybody, but there's no place where I would say, um, yeah, yeah. I got my third book out now, got a software platform for coaches. Yeah. Kind of done. Um, And <laughs> I got a beach right outside my door. I mean, I, I live on the beach here Um, and I'm probably, you know, I, I love the beach. I don't go as often as probably people who have to drive as far to get here, but I, I it's not, it's, it's a nice place to visit, but I don't want to live there. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a person who sits on the beach all day. I mean, I want to be a person who helps others and I want to do it through what I learned and then sharing that and then elevating others around me. That to me is more fun than, you know, and that's why I don't really I don't go for things that other people do when it comes to, you know, to, to, to doing stuff. Like for example, my passion is not my business, by the way, just to be clear, I love my business. I love my clients. I love what I do, but I am a, um, I'm a landscape photographer and an astrophotographer. So my work is really at night and in the sky and I travel all the world to do that.
0: So, man, I love that you brought that up because so many people identify their entire self-existence with their business. And it's really nice to hear that it's kind of like Einstein playing the violin outside of making mathematical equations. Yeah, exactly. It makes so much sense.
1: Yeah. Well, you have to, I mean, the, the other part of it is that I, you know, once, you know, when you, when you're working with young people, one of the most important things I believe is to get a young person to experience what it's like to be really good at something. doesn't matter what. If they could achieve mastery at their level at that time in their lives, it's addictive. They will never not want it. And I've proven this over and over again. Uh, I, I have a daughter, I raised her that way. I was a, a Jewish big brother, big sister uh, growing up as well, and we worked on the same ideas with, with my little brother. I mean, what it comes down to is that being feeling the success of achieving something. Uh, is the most powerful feeling that I know of, second to only having that feeling while helping others. That is the most powerful feeling. most fulfilling thing you could ever do is help others. But if you don't know how your gifts can help others, it's not as good. I mean, sure, you could help somebody cross the street. You can donate some money. That's great. But once you understand how to truly utilize your gifts and then align them with your ability to create basically convert what you do to your true purpose, that's when you really unleash
0: your own gifts. Wow. Being able to turn your very work, your life's work into tithing almost, if you will, where you're truly just creating impact everywhere you go. That's that's definitely the ultimate high. And it's funny because I was going to ask next, what would you say to someone who is young on the edge of deciding whether or not they should go into business or someone who is facing an obstacle in business and deciding whether or not they should continue, knowing what you know, experiencing what you have experienced? I can guess at the answer, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it.
1: Well, I I told you the story in the beginning about how we worked for six months to create a product that became obsolete the first day it was available. Uh, I had some choices. Look, i got to be honest. I had some savings in the bank. I was making money as a salesman. I could have, A, gone on vacation for a couple of years, Uh, B, I could have uh, uh, gotten another job, B, C, I could have bought a boat and gone fishing. I mean, none of those things mattered to me. If I could have used that money to create a vehicle to my future, that's what I chose to do. But the reason that happened was because I was willing to do the one thing a lot of people lose sight of, and that is to pivot. It doesn't mean that I failed. It means I simply shifted my energy in a little bit different direction. And sometimes in a big direction difference, but, but, but if you quit, then you failed. But if you pivot, you're on the process of learning and still have a very, very strong chance of succeeding.
0: So I prefer to pivot than quit. That's my own personal philosophy. I'm with it. And they all need to hear it, especially after hearing your story and putting the pieces together. It's not like they're empty words. You literally did it yourself. You know, yeah, uh, I still do it. Might <laughs> <laughs> pivot tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: exactly.
2: Now before
0: I before I go on to the to the grand finale here, I want to turn it over to Jason one more time.
2: Let's roll out the grand finale. Right sure. on.
0: Okay. So the the grand finale, and I had alluded to this earlier before we hit record. If you could have chosen anyone at any point in time and place in life to have been a guest here today. Uh, to listen or even contribute to the conversation based on what we covered, who would you have loved to have had here, and why? Captain Kirk. All right, that's <laughs> a new one. Yep, that's
1: a new Captain one. Captain Kirk. Why? Love because it. because Captain Kirk thinks multidimensionally. He never sees things as problems needing to be solved. I love the way he sees things in a much bigger concept, context. And this, of course, is, is Gene Roddenberry's gift as he instilled in his character, which, I, which as we call James T. Kirk, Captain Kirk. And to me, I looked up to Captain Kirk as a little boy growing up, even as a young man. I looked up at Captain Kirk. What would Captain Kirk do? You know, Captain Kirk wouldn't try to, quote unquote, destroy the enemy. He would find a way to to basically leverage the enemy in a way that would benefit him, and by the way, he had ethics. He he was very very careful not to violate the prime directive. See, we don't we don't. I, I'll speak in a general sense today. We live in a world where nobody cares about that stuff anymore. Ethics and values are not are not premier in most people's minds um, today. And you know, look at all the people trying to take money from the government instead of work. They'd rather be given things instead of earn them. Well that's great if that's who you are but that's not who i am and that's why if we had captain kirk as president of the united states it would be a much different country right now
0: oh
2: yeah oh yeah
0: (laughs) not only not only are our ethics like that not premier in people's lives but also leadership uh across the board especially in one of the most uh stared at all day long arenas which is the political arena it's just become a farce and it has. Uh, and it's sad because uh, they're supposed to be the leadership that the youth looks to. Uh, even as a kid, I can't, and you know, giving away my age here, I was born 89. Right. So even, even as far as I can remember, I had nothing that I was looking at that said, Oh yeah, this is leadership. You know, it's just been chaos for as long as I can remember. And the only people who have ever exhibited something that was respectable has been business owners in my life.
1: Yeah. I kind through. of, I I do feel the same way, but but uh, but apparently, and because of forces, maybe I don't completely understand. Some business owners have um, uh, have gotten to the point where they control too much. They're too greedy. Uh, yeah, they, they fair enough. <laughs> they are not interested in really the rest of the world. They're interested only in themselves, and and that un- is unfortunate because there's got to be a point where whether you have one million dollars. 100 million dollars or 10 billion dollars there's got to be a point at least emotionally where you say I have enough I am enough I can now give instead of take and apparently we haven't many of our billionaire business leaders don't seem to feel that way
0: yeah I agree with you there's definitely those and we don't have to name them to know who they are we don't we have to know. name them exactly. we all know who they are and Sorry. it's it's sad because you see all that possibility and leverage that's there. And yet public education is still what it is. And I understand it's not, it's not profitable. You know what? (laughs) I,
1: I, if I were to pick a, a a political party, I'd pick libertarian. Uh, And the reason is, is because I think people should be responsible for themselves. There's a book I reread uh, about every 18 months. It's called Atlas Shrugged. And the reason I reread Atlas Shrugged every 18 months, it's to remind me what, a, what, what the presence of a real human being looks like, what, what the character of a man and a woman are and should be in my mind. Now, maybe to some people, they'll think I'm being sexist or something. But in that book, men are really men and women are really women. And, and people are true to themselves and are allowed to think the way they choose to think. And to me, and and then as if you read the book, you understand eventually that book, by the way, could have been written last year. That's (laughs) the way I feel about Atlas Shrugged. If you read Atlas Shrugged today, you would think it is exactly the world we live in today. And that was written in the fifties by a woman who escaped from the Soviet union. So put that into perspective.
0: Oh yeah. No, I I remember reading that. It it was a, it was a big one for me. Ayn Rand in general. Exactly. Um, uh, those are the my closing thoughts are thank you so much for stopping by and shedding some wisdom on us uh, and through the allegory that is your story that's just getting started as far as I'm concerned, based on the energy I see from you. Uh, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jason to close this out.
2: Yeah, it's a it, it's a great classic all American entrepreneurship story. That's really what it is, because it's the same one I grew up on. Just replace towns, replace the person, you know, all those different things and so on and so forth. So uh, so thank you for, like, diving into that and, like, opening that can up completely and giving it all, right? So because um, we don't always get the whole meat and potatoes. So, um, you gave the meat and potatoes the and steak and, the, and the, 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 the beer on top of it. So thanks for doing that. My um, pleasure. Yeah. And thanks for being here. You know, we have limited time in our week, right? And you chose yep. to take 30 minutes to come here. So we appreciate you dropping the knowledge on our audience. Um, and if you didn't catch something out of that, well, you need to go back and rewatch it for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but thanks for being here, brother. We appreciate it very much. And uh, as always, wish you all the best of success moving forward in your life to your next journey because I guarantee you there'll be something else.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you both for the chance to to share my story and uh, look forward to getting to know you both better. Right on.
2: Cheers. Cheers.